Welcome to Confessions of a Realtor. As an active, full-time realtor serving Tallahassee and the surrounding areas since 2014, it was time to use my experience to educate consumers on the whys and hows behind the home buying and home selling processes. We'll have some fun, I'll share some crazy real estate stories, and keep you informed on realtors' best kept secrets. Why? Because when you're informed, you can make empowered decisions. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Realtor. Today we're going to get into our topic of purchasing a home. Now, a lot of times when there's any education around buying a home, most people assume that it's only for first-time home buyers. I mean, the process can't be that different from purchasing your home from one time to another, right? Well, actually, I would argue that everyone needs education around purchasing a home for two reasons. Number one, most people only move every three to seven years. So you're typically buying in a very different market when you purchase house number two or three than when you purchased your previous home. The second reason why education is a big deal is because realtors all run their businesses differently. There are different expectations, there are different processes, there are different standards that each realtor has the latitude to put into their business. Now, there are some things that are always going to be standard, the contract deadlines and hopefully ethics, you know, but there are things that are different in the process that you need to make sure that you are up on before you get into the home buying process. The first step in this process is the telephone consultation. Typically, I'll do a telephone consultation of about 20 minutes or so with a few goals. The first goal is typically to answer any burning questions that you have about the home buying process, about real estate, about the market. Let's go ahead and get ahead of those questions so that you have your questions answered. The second thing is I'm going to ask some questions now. I'm typically going to ask some questions about your income, about your finances, about your credit score, about if you have any funds, any monies set aside for your home buying process. So this kind of allows me to be able to to help you determine timeline. It also enables me to help determine which lenders in town would be a good fit for you. Now, you are more than welcome to choose your own lender and there always will be some people that do, but it's very similar to you going to a hospital, you need a surgery done. Most people, what they're going to do is they're gonna ask the nurses, hey, is this doctor good at this surgery? because nurses deal with certain doctors all the time, they know who they would trust. Well, it's the same thing with real estate and lenders. So we realtors, we know who the good lenders are. We know who to help you stay away from. You can always choose to go with whatever lender that you want. But when I ask those questions about your finances and about credit score, I'm automatically thinking through who would be a good fit for them. For example, if you want down payment assistance, there are some lenders in town that don't do down payment assistance, so they would not be a good fit for you. There are also some lenders in town, if you're, let's say that you're a veteran. Well, I know there are some lenders in town that they severely cut their fees for veterans or for those using a VA loan. So that is also one of the goals with us having this initial telephone consultation. 
The third goal with having this initial telephone consultation is I'm making sure that we're both on the same page as far as personality. So buying a house is an intimate process. You'll get to know me. I'll get to know you. And you want to make sure at the beginning that you're working with someone you can move forward in this process with. The second is you will go and talk to a lender to get pre-approved. Now, a lot of people are nervous when they initially go and talk to a lender. And there's really only two answers that lenders will give you. Either number one, no, not yet. And that no, not yet is typically accompanied by a game plan. So they will literally tell you, you need to refinance your car. You need to get this $1,600 balance on your credit card down to $800. Here's where I also add a point that please, when you go apply for a mortgage, do not go scorched earth. Do not go and pay everything off thinking that the lender wants to see absolutely no debt. No, let them see you as you are. Come as you are. Let them see you as you are and let them make recommendations. I find that this way, people typically do not do nearly as much as they think that they have to do, and they're able to hold on to some of the funds and able to use them more strategically. The second answer that a lender can give you is yes, here's your pre-approval letter. And if they give you a pre-approval letter, the question that I always tell my clients to ask is, what is the monthly payment? They may pre-approve you for a home at $350,000. Depending on your credit score, your financial profile, it may put you at a monthly payment of about $1,900 a month. You may only want to have a $1,500 a month payment for your home. So you need to talk with the lender and get that loan amount reduced to a pre-approval amount and a loan amount that you are comfortable with. For that, typically about 300, 315, somewhere in there to where you would feel more comfortable knowing that you can manage your budget on a monthly basis. Now, after you get your pre-approval, that's when we'll schedule a more in-depth consultation to go into your needs. And we typically will either do this either in person or over Zoom. The pandemic really had us doing a lot of these over Zoom really seems to work well for our clients that are busy and don't have time to come in. Most people are asking if it can be done virtually at this point. In this consultation, we'll be diving deep into your criteria. And it is so great being able to do this with the backing of your pre-approval because now we're not just guessing at what you can afford and discussing, well, you know, I think that I can afford a five bedroom, three bath. Whereas your pre-approval amount, it may come back with something that I know, hey, yes, they can get five bedrooms, they can get three bathrooms, but it may also come back lower or you may be more comfortable at a lower monthly payment. You may really only decide that a four bedroom, two bath is really what's going to keep you on goal for your financial goals. So that's just another kind of plug for, you know, getting the pre-approval done prior to our consultation going into your needs. And this is my time to be very upfront with you. And what I typically will tell people is that we are not South Georgia. We do not have these crazy low prices, but we're also not L.A., you know, where you're paying a million dollars. And I was literally just out there recently and I had a family member for about 1,200 square feet. They paid almost half a million dollars. And so their market is very different out there than it is in Tallahassee. Here, for if you're looking for about 12 or 1300 square feet, you're really going to be more in a first time home buyer range 
just depending on the neighborhood that you're looking in. That could be anywhere from I've seen as low as 175 recently, all the way up to 250, just depending on the area that the house is in. So after we have the consultation, the fourth step is selecting and viewing homes. And the way that we select and view those homes is we will pull directly from the MLS. And then we also check with our contacts in our office to make sure that if there is any property that's coming to the market, that we have the opportunity to get our clients in there ahead of time. Now, the way that we set up most showings is we'll ask you for your availability and we'll go ahead and schedule around that. So sometimes that'll be me. Sometimes it'll be a showing assistant, but we want to make sure that you're able to get into the property as quickly as possible where it works with your schedule. Sometimes we'll have clients that, and I get it, real estate is a, is a new venture. Most people, like I said, they really only even dip their toes into the market every three to seven years. And so sometimes it could be a Tuesday and we'll have a client that'll say, hey, can I see this property over the weekend? Yes, we can definitely arrange for you to see it over the weekend, but we'd really like to try to get you in the same day or the next day into the home as quickly as possible because we never know if someone else saw the property and if that person could be thinking about making an offer. And if they make an offer and the seller accepts it, it's going to be gone by the weekend. So we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to see the home prior to it going under contract. One of the things that we do have to keep in mind sometimes if a property is currently being lived in, either by a tenant or by an owner, is that sometimes some owners want a 24-hour notice. So going back to that example, if we request a showing from the seller on Tuesday, we may not be able to get until Wednesday. So we definitely want to have as open availability as possible when it comes to you seeing a home. A lot of my clients will take off on their lunch or they'll, you know, arrange some time in the middle of the day so that they can go see the home so that they can give themselves the best shot. Now, after you see a home and remember, you're only here to buy one home. So if you're being reasonable with your expectations, if you're being realistic with your expectations, I would say that most of my clients really only see between three to nine homes before they make an offer. And this is not because we're pushing them. This is not because we're just like, hey, you're going to make an offer. You're going to make an offer. You're going to make an offer. No, by the time you narrow down your criteria and you're staying on track with your budget, at one point in time, there's really only a certain amount of homes that is going to fit your budget. It's going to fit your criteria. A lot of properties are going to eliminate themselves. So when it comes down to it and you're like, Rachel, I want to make an offer on this property. That leads us into step number five, which is researching the property and the value. Now, a lot of times people tend to think of the list price on the home as buying a jar of peanut butter from Walmart. Peanut butter may be $5 at Walmart right now. And a lot of times what people will say, well, that's $5. I'll pay them $5. Okay. Real estate works a little bit differently. The list price of the home is actually something that is subjective. It's something that a seller may have wanted a certain price, a realtor may have promised a certain price, or maybe even overpromised a certain price. So we want to research the property and the value to make sure that we're not going to create problems later in your process if we don't do this right. In order to research the property, 
One of the things that I always look for is a seller's property disclosure statement. This is a document that most of the time the seller's agent will upload to the MLS. It's something that only we can see on our end. And it lists out the problems that the seller knows about with the property or any disclosure items that they know about with the property. That document is only six pages and it'll ask questions like, how old is the roof? How old is your AC system? What replacements have you done? What work have you done on the property, Mr. Seller? And what I always stress to my clients is that the seller's property disclosure statement is not a replacement for a home inspection. Most of the time, sellers are answering the seller's property disclosure statement very honestly, but it's only six pages. And the seller is typically a regular layperson. They're not an inspector. They're not a contractor. If a seller accepts an offer that you make, then you'll go under contract with that seller. And going under contract then gives you the right to do an inspection on the property. And most inspection reports are about 50 to 60 pages long. Does it mean that houses are falling apart? No, it doesn't. It just means a lot of times that the home inspector is being very careful and very thorough with the information that they give you. Back to when we're researching the property, we want to make sure that we're looking over that disclosure statement and seeing if there's anything that has kind of crazy red flags. Also at this time, we are researching the value of the home. Just because someone has the property listed at $350,000 doesn't mean that it's actually worth $350,000. So what we always want to do is check the market data to make sure that we're giving you the best advice on the offer that you can present. Most buyers are very straightforward in their negotiations. Most buyers want to get the house for as little as possible and want their out-of-pocket costs to be as little as possible. And I definitely do understand that. We do want to look again at the market data to see, hey, is the offer that we're putting together reasonable? And then I'll let you make a decision based on the data that I've given you on what offer that you want to present. I will give you my guidance, but I will also say, hey, I think if we're offering $50,000 under the list price, this offer is going to get ignored, rejected. They're not going to think that you're serious. Or if you're willing to offer substantially over the asking price, sometimes depending on the market, that may not be necessary. There's been times where I've had clients that have wanted to make stronger offers than what I thought that they should make. I've let them know and we've been able to negotiate something that I actually feel is fair. The reason why I do this research on the property before you make the offer is because a lot of times people assume that when you sell the home is when you actually make your money. And yes, that is true in a practical sense. You're not pulling money away from the sale of the home when you purchase it. But if you buy the house right, you'll set yourself up to be able to make a really good amount of profit when you go to sell the home. Also, I honestly don't want to have an awkward conversation with you about how you overpaid for the property at the time that you purchased it. And oh, I was the representation for that. That's not something that we want to do. So we always want to make sure that you're paying a fair market value for the home. Now we're ready for step number six, which is writing an offer based on that research and you signing it. Now, once you sign off on the offer, most of the time people will sign digitally we'll immediately get it over to the seller's agent. And then I always call the seller's agent as well to let them know that we presented an offer to them. 
Sometimes, and I actually recently had this, there was a listing that I had, I was selling someone's house and a buyer's agent texted me a few days later and said, hey, no response on our offer. And I said, what offer? He hadn't called, he hadn't texted and it had gotten in my spam. And so the funny thing is his clients actually ended up purchasing that property. But because we know that we deal with so many emails and honestly, sometimes it can look like spam or depending on the email filter that you're using, it'll get sent to spam. I always call or let the agent know, hey, there is an offer in your inbox from us. Please email us back when you get it. Now, there are four responses that a seller can have once his agent presents your offer to him. So the four responses are number one, he can just accept it. So if you've written a strong, straightforward offer, we can get your offer accepted the first time. The second thing that can happen, and this is probably the most common thing that happens, especially in a more balanced market, is that the offer is negotiated. And negotiation doesn't always mean price, even though that's what a lot of people jump to. Sometimes it means that the seller may want to close at a different time than you want to close because it works better for their schedule. Sometimes you may have asked for the washer and dryer to be included. They may say, hey, we were planning on taking that with us. So each and every term of the offer, not just the price, can be negotiated. And I would say that that is the most common response. The third thing that the seller can do is they can reject the offer. There's two ways that a seller can reject the offer. Number one is they can send us back a document initialing a page of the offer that says that, hey, we're rejecting this offer. Honestly, they don't typically initial much anymore. I'll typically get an email from the seller's agent saying, hey, my client's declining your buyer's offer. And the second way that they can reject an offer is they can just not respond to it. And for some buyers, that feels disrespectful to them. You spent the time seeing the house. You spent the time putting together the offer. You probably told family and whatnot about your excitement with the process. But the seller can choose to just ignore it if they don't want to negotiate the offer or if they don't want to accept the offer. Our contracts have on them what is called a time of response. So it's a time that will fill in on the contract to say, hey, Mr. Seller, we're requesting a response by Wednesday at 4 p.m. If it now is Wednesday at 4.01 p.m., technically the seller has rejected the offer. No response from a seller is technically a rejection. The last thing that a seller can do is they can sell the property to someone else. And this is something that never feels good to a buyer is, again, taking the time to see the property, putting together a good offer, and then having the property sold to someone else. Sometimes sellers will just sign off on an offer because maybe this other offer came in better or higher. I've even seen sellers sign off on offers because the purchaser's name reminded them of someone else's in their family's name. So sometimes it's not always a numerical thing. Sometimes it's not always, hey, they just wanted more money. Sometimes sellers are just done with showing the property and they just want to sign off on the best offer for them. So those are the four responses that the seller can have. They can accept it, they can negotiate it, they can reject it, or they can still sell the property to someone else. We'll pick up next week for the second part of our discussion of your home buying process, but let's recap what we've gone over today. So the first step, a telephone consultation. The second step, you'll reach out to a lender to get a pre-approval letter. The third, we'll do a consultation establishing your needs where we will deep dive in on what you are wanting in your next home. 
The fourth will go take a look at property. The fifth will research the property to make sure that you're getting a good property at a good market value. And the sixth step will put together an offer based on our research and we'll wait for one of the sellers for responses. I hope that you'll tune in next week to hear part two. That's it for today's episode of Confessions of a Realtor. If you're looking for an active, full-time agent in the Tallahassee or surrounding areas, thinking about moving, or just want more real estate tips and tricks, the best place to connect with me is my Instagram page, Rachel Sells Homes 850. You'll also find it linked in the show notes. My Instagram also has a link in the bio to schedule a complimentary consultation with me, whether you're thinking about selling or purchasing. Alternatively, feel free to text me at 850-206-2199 and I'll respond during business hours. I look forward to connecting with you. 